0: This is the Cashflow Digest. My name is Matt Veracloth and me and the DeRosa team are here for you guys on a weekly basis with this podcast, YouTube video, and broadcast recording. This is also live on our Facebook group, Terosa Insiders. In whatever medium you're watching, please take a minute and like this content, leave a comment, and leave it a review. We really appreciate you guys doing that. We're going to be talking about all things real estate and all things cash flow because our company is dedicated to transforming lives through real estate and cash flow can do that. We're going to be talking about things that are affecting the real estate industry, news in the real estate investing world. We're also going to be bringing on guests that are crushing it in the cash flow sector of real estate investing. If you guys want to join and watch the show live, please go to Facebook and look up to Rosa Insiders and join that Facebook group where we record this show every Friday at noon Eastern. Hope to see you guys there. What is going on, DeRosa Insider Community? It's Matt Fairclough. Welcome to the Cashflow Digest Show. Like I said, my name is Matt. Our company is the DeRosa Group, and we are a real estate company dedicated to transforming lives through real estate. And that's what today's show is all about. This is going to be a phenomenal show because why do we do this, right? Why are we in this industry? Why do we make cashflow? Why do we work very hard uh, to make money for real estate? Do we do it to make money so we can drive fancy cars or do we do it? to make a difference and to make people's lives better. That's what we're going to be talking about with our guest who is all about that. He's done phenomenal work through his real estate business and using it as a vehicle to create change and to help people out and to make the world better, so to speak, if I dare say, through real estate ventures as the vehicle to do that. So can't wait for that conversation. We've also got an, an amazing video from your great friend, Tara Smiley, who's going to be joining us on the asset management side, talking to us about something that gets misunderstood and that is something called the rent roll. We're going to learn how to read a rent roll properly and we're going to learn what it is and what it's not and what else you need alongside it. So stay tuned for that video and that. Welcome to the Cashflow Digest. Like I said, if you guys are watching this program on Spotify, thank you. Take a minute, Spotify watchers, and go out there and join DeRosa Insiders. There's the company right there, DeRosa, D-E-R-O-S-A, DeRosa Insiders on Facebook join it. This is a live program that gets broadcast every Friday at noon Eastern on Facebook. And you guys could be one of the many people that are watching it right now, leaving comments, saying hello, giving shout outs and whatnot to the program. So why not join the cool kids, come over to Derosa Insiders and join our community so you can talk all things real estate, all things cash flow here at the Derosa Insiders channel. And of course, thank you to all you guys watching every Friday, noon Eastern. So guys, today I want to talk about something interesting. This is based on an article that was on Redfin. If you look back, On the history of housing in America, we all know that as the baby boomers made, you know, more and more money, these are baby boomers of people that were born around 1944 up through say 1963-ish, you know, 63, 64. Right, that generation made a lot of money in the 80s, 90s when they had their big income peak, and they went and bought ginormous houses. I'm talking McMansions that are five, six, seven thousand square feet. So. This Redfin article discusses an interesting problem that we're having here in America, and this is every problem's got a solution, and every problem even further is an opportunity, right? So today's conversation for a current event is about the opportunity that lies before us, and this opportunity is in the, the housing stock that's no longer- Say needed in America, and those are the large six, seven, eight thousand, even nine, ten thousand square foot houses. I'm sure it does serve some folks' ego to own a home of that size, but it doesn't serve everyone's income to own a home of that size. And the problem we're facing is a lot of the baby boomers are now empty nesters, meaning their kids have graduated their high school arrangements and are now in college or even beyond those millennials, because that's what the Baby Boomer's children are. They're millennials. Those millennials are now down the line and they're buying their own houses. They're not moving back with mom and dad. They're not going to move in that bedroom in the seven or 8,000 square foot house. So what does America do with the housing stock that we have? What happens? The, The millennials, interestingly enough, are not buying that housing stock. They're not. They're downsizing. They're buying smaller stuff. They could afford to buy the big stuff, but they're not. And the larger baby boomers are sitting on 28 percent of the larger McMansion housing stock in America. They're sitting on it, and these are the uh, the 28 of the large McMansion style big housing stock in America are owned by baby boomers that are empty nesters. They sure as heck don't need seven or eight thousand square feet. But here's the problem: they got, they own it free and clear. It's likely they 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 listened to the Dave Ramsey's of the world and paid their mortgage very religiously and got it paid down. Now they own the house free and clear. They got all this equity in the house, but. Because rates are lower, they can't sell it for what they think it's worth. The they they maybe have if they do owe debt on it, they probably owe debt at a way lower interest rate than what today's interest rates are. So the they may be house stuck in these houses, or they're they're they may be looking to move and go, but there might not be that many buyers. So what I want to ask you guys, if you guys are watching this on YouTube, please leave a comment below. If you guys are watching on the Durostat Insider channel, leave a comment below. What does America do with all the oversized housing stock? that we need that we that we have in, in America. We're going the other direction. There's this tiny home movement, right? Of people that are buying and living in homes that are less than a thousand square foot. Right. Not that everybody's gonna do that, but it's a testament that not everyone needs seven, eight, or even ten thousand square feet of housing for your one or two or three child families. Right. So that's the question of the day, guys is what happens with it. I'll throw a few idea bombs out there, right? And these will require uh, township towns in America to be forward thinking and realize that they're losing populations and allowing fel- uh, folks and developers like us and investors like us to abide outside of the zoning rules to say, okay, this doesn't have to be a single family home anymore. Maybe that home could be a farm because it probably has lots of land, right? So maybe that home could be a farm. Maybe it could be multifamily. Maybe it could be a farm and multifamily. Maybe I can grow crop around it and I can cut it up into several apartment units and either have them as rentals or have them as a house hack. Right. Maybe those large homes could be communal-based living. Maybe multiple families that share kitchens and share resources could live under the same roof. That's that's done in many other countries, not as much in America, but there's a lot of folks that want that subscribe to that it takes a village to raise a child type of psychology. So what if you could live under the same roof of, of a of a group of people that have a lot of the same mindset that you do that are there to kind of live together in this seven or eight, nine, ten thousand square foot McMansion that you turn into like almost like a compound, right? I'll keep going. What if those homes could get turned into assisted living? right? There is a rising senior population, pretty much of those baby boomers that are living in these houses now, they're going to need more and more resources to take care of them. Some of them will age in place and like 90% of that enormous house is going to sit dormant and then they'll live in a aged in place, retrofitted uh, apartment for themselves. But for those that can't afford to do that, they're going to need to move into some sort of an assisted living care facility, right? What if those large McMansions could get turned into micro-assisted living solutions? That's already being done in America. But You need uh, proper zoning to allow you to do things like that. There are more ideas. I want to hear them, right? So if you guys have ideas on what to do with the changing housing stock in America and what to do with these ginormous houses that we have that need to get repositioned, repurposed, and turned into something else, what is possible to be done with them? That's the question of the day, guys. Pop your answers below. Would love to hear what you guys think. Okay, guys. So listen, we're going to be bringing on a friend of mine here today, someone who's near and dear to my heart. I think a lot of this person, he and I rose into the multifamily world around the same time, hang out in a lot of the same circles, and know a lot of the same folks and everything like that. And and he is of an A plus operator that I know. Every I've never heard an ill word an ill word spoken of this human. And he has got a ginormous heart in that. And we're going to be talking about why we do real estate and what we can do with it. And of course, he's a very seasoned operator as well. So we're going to pick his brain a little bit about where. The world is going so guys give a lots of hearts and lots of thumbs up wherever you're watching for our guest today whitney sewell what's up man how are you hey i am excellent matt great to see you and be on your show to you too brother yeah good to see you too uh how is your new year going so far uh we're sitting in the middle of january here how is your uh 2024 shaping up so far good
1: really good i'm excited about it you know the new year you could do this any day of the year right But it does give me an excuse to have some downtime and to pull out of the daily grind and to really think through my next year, which I'm, I'm actually doing more often now. But I, it, it's allowed me to revamp my morning routine, my exercise program, my reading time in the mornings to from my Bible to how I'm educating myself to, I mean, all, all these things that I consider crucial in my daily, weekly, monthly routines. And, and I'm loving it so far.
0: That's great. I the the new year is and I don't know why this is, but it's like it, it's like it's this total arbitrary time. But everybody <laughs> uses the new year as a control the delete moment, right? I do two moments in my life to, to to exit bad habits and reenter new ones. Those two moments in my life on a yearly basis are my birthday and New Year's. Right? It's a good time to reflect, look back what worked yeah. the la- the last couple, the last year, and what I want to do moving forward. I decided I'm going to start doing for health. Right? Let's discuss that. I just, I'm doing a three day. You know, you don't have to do this with me, a three-day fast. So no no food for three days, once a month. I already did it in January and, and it is my current goal, Whitney, to do it on a monthly basis for three days. What do you think?
1: Good for you. Now, I've heard a lot of positive things about fasting. And so, yeah, I look forward to hearing from I'm not sure that I'm going to do it for three days, but I am, <laughs> I am very strict about my nutrition. I, or I should, let me correct that. My wife is very strict about our nutrition. And, yeah, there you go. And so I'm very blessed that that she handles most of that. But but yeah, I'm not probably fasting for three days. At least no, you're not going to do it. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. She's too good of a cook, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In all the truth, I'm not, not eating anything. I'm doing this thing called the lemonade diet, guys, where I drink lemonade, cayenne pepper, and maple syrup concoction. It's about in a gallon jug. And I drank that for three days straight. And it's just enough to give your body just enough sugar to make you not hungry enough, right? You're still hungry, but it it empties out your stomach and just helps your body reposition itself. Yeah. 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 It's a cleanse, let's say. Right. So reflecting back on 2023, Whitney, what are some of your like We all have aha moments, right? I certainly have mine too. What are some like lessons learned, highs highs you got? I mean, lows are not even worth reflecting on because it's about what you learn from the lows, right? So what are some things and ahas that you get when you look back on 2023 for you and your company life bridge?
1: Yeah, one of the biggest things, and and most may not even say this, I don't know, but but one of the biggest things for us, Matt, was going back to third-party management. Uh, and so we brought management all in-house we built a management company oh, and 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 you know we learned many hard lessons through that to say the least uh, but you know i mean a lot of good things right uh, that have made us a lot better but we did we, we decided it was better to go back uh, to third party and and but even when we started our, our internal management company we said you know what one year we're going to reassess we're going to go out and Interview management companies, third-party management companies, and just see and compare how they think they can still manage compared to how we're doing, right? Yeah. Uh, and w- when we did that, you know, it was just telling that, hey, like we owe it to our investors that uh, to go back to third-party management. And again, that's not just any third-party management. Of course, there were some specific ones that we interviewed, uh, and and we very strategic, obviously, about who we went back with. But uh, a couple of things that I don't think we were just really large enough yet, uh, and and, I, and we were we're too scattered. If we were all in one place, if all of our if all of our properties were really close then i think we would have been you know a lot better off as well but, but anyway that's probably one of the biggest learning things you know hiring's been a big thing for us we've hired a couple of key people this year that have helped turn us in a big way, in a, in a good way. I mean, uh, help us uh, really to to put in more just structure, corporation-like like structure that we've not had yet, right? I mean, I mean it's yeah. like we've had some of it, but at a very elementary level, I think. And we have done things over the last year uh, to that have helped us to grow corporately uh, in a big way that I think is is positioning us very well for you know bigger growth in the future. Uh, and so and it's been a good year for that, right? It's been really slow for us on That's the acquisition awesome. side, as I'm sure you can imagine. Uh, but so it's been a great year
0: for that. We didn't do any deals last year, brother. We, I didn't do it. DeRosa Rosa uh, struck out. We had 280 at bats. 280, bro. Can you believe? And we and we whiffed on the ball every time. Just couldn't get there to to the the asking price that folks had. I think you're better uh, off because of it. But I, I think we won, right? I think that's, that's right. a good thing. A few comments, man, and it's all good. Just there's just different transitions and things that work for different companies. So it's funny for us we took on self management so we're actually as you're like you're over here like oh man i hope that doesn't happen to us that it didn't work out for Whitney i hope it works for us but we we ended up taking management back from third-party management companies and brought it in, in-house and i know it works for some people and doesn't work for others and, and the only question i have is did you have to go back to the pm company you were using before and then have like a kiss and makeup moment or did you reshift okay like, hey, hey listen so, you were just yeah, me, the whole thing i'm sorry about that yeah, yeah. absolutely not and so
1: <laughs> us, us managing internally was light years better than what we had as a third party before we did brought it in house okay? okay you know we grew during that time as well and so you know it it allowed us and actually we made some connections to some bigger third-party management firms who probably wouldn't have looked at us before right and now they were willing to you know now that we knew some people ultimately right that would help make us a connection to them you know that you know i mean they're probably used to you know some of their lower end clients probably have you know 10 to twenty thousand units right yeah. and so they were able to you know they still were willing to work for us and uh, just with some of the connections that we had and, and so it, it was very worthwhile to go and take that back to third party we would never have have left internal management uh, self-managing if we had to go back to the company that was doing it before
0: Oh yeah, yeah, right. Because it's like you—you well, you would have had to run a really, really bad ship if you had to go back. You yeah. know, you know what? I know that was bad, but it was certainly better than it was with us doing it, right? So I get it. So there was like them, then there's you guys, then there's next level. So that's, that's right. Like a graduation celebration point. That's great. So let, let's transition here because you and I have talked a lot about this at conferences and everything like that. You know, this is something that's near and dear personally to my heart. In that, but you and I have talked about like you know this transforming lives through real estate and getting that right why you and I do what we do. Now, you could very well have a Ferrari sitting in your driveway, but you have never, that I've ever seen, do a social media post about it or whatever. Hey, look at my amazing house, look at my car, and you could do this too, and buy, invest in real estate so you can have a Ferrari, right? I, I, don't, I know you're not that guy, right? You're not a flashy guy, but you do very well, and you're able to take a lot of what you do in this business and transition it into a passion that's perhaps a higher calling, if I could even say it so deeply as that about you. Would you mind sharing a bit of Your, if I dare say, your why that you do real estate investing because it's certainly not so you can have 19 cars, you know, sitting in a car for every day of the month sitting in your driveway, right? Why do you do what you do, and tell us more about it? I appreciate the question, Matt. No doubt,
1: something I'm passionate about, and and I know you as well. You know, this this why this mission has changed things for us in such a big way that I didn't even I didn't even know in the early on. uh, Just to be completely honest about that, like I didn't plan it all this way. I think the Lord had a bigger plan. And and than I could have ever imagined. I mean, our tagline is "Invest better, live better, make a difference." in one investor, one child at a time. Uh, and in the way that we do that is, is is through a foundation that my wife and I started that helps families through the financial burden of adoption. It helps them to bring their children home uh, through the adoption process that, that are struggling. Most people have no idea that adoption, unfortunately, the process can often cost fifty to seventy five thousand dollars, and it's just it's it's very frustrating, right? It's a that it's a business for for. You know for a lot of people right Uh, and i know they have they got to be paid for their time and whatnot but man they're just i'm just praying that there is a better way for this process however these children are still stuck right and these families are often stuck And we consider a ransom, right, you know, for these children. And so we help, we want to help as many families as we can to get past that burden. So I'll speak at conferences, Matt, just like you were talking about, and I'll talk about this, why this mission. And often, you know, people come up afterwards and say, Whitney, my wife and I would love to adopt, but you know, it's more than we make in a year. How could we even start the process? And so after that kept happening, we're like, wait a minute, you know, we need to do something about this. And so, and so we said, you know, we're going to commit, you know, half of my personal profits to this foundation to just say, you know what, we're going to fund as many families as we can, you know, over the, you know. However long. And so we said we started we started a foundation. It's called Omna, O-M-N-A-H, a foundation. And and that's exactly what it's doing now. We've we've partnered with right about 30 families now. And it's just amazing to see what the Lord has done. You know, we we moved, I have a military background, which I know you know, but spent a year in Iraq, came home. And uh, then became a police officer, Kentucky State Police. And then, you know, my wife and I just passed each other in the hallway the first whole year of marriage and said, you know what, as much as I love this, there's got to be something else better, right? Long term. It's just such a hard, a hard family (laughs) position, right? And, and family was going to be, you know, just very important to us. And, and and so um, I became a federal agent. And and that's what took us to uh, Virginia, where we live now. And so I did that about 10 years. And during that process, man, I took the normal path to real estate success. I bet I bet you did this as well, and many of the listeners. Uh, I became a professional horse trainer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> me too, you you me too?
0: Oh wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well you came so, from Kentucky, right? And, and right. In Kentucky right. there's worse than the horses in the water out there. That's out right. That. So, right, right. Did you grow <laughs> so, up with horses from Kentucky or like I
1: how did you Okay. i did i grew up riding and and it was just a passion of mine since i was a little boy i mean since i was two years old i dreamed about owning horses and being a cowboy yeah. and all that but it wasn't until we really moved to virginia that i got really serious about it all right and so i built so a brand around law
0: enforcement it. and got so, into horse training okay that's right
1: so right. i was doing that as a I, I at the same time i was a federal agent uh, and so oh, and, and let me back up when i was a police officer making you know say twenty eight thousand a year i was looking for some way to supplement my income right you know mm-hmm. as most of us are and in came rich dad Poor dad and you know pretty shortly after reading that book we bought yep. two triplexes uh, in kentucky made a ton of mistakes man so much brain damage from those two properties <laughs> you know, more than i would like to admit but we learned a lot mm-hmm. uh, uh, so much and so but we took the federal position moved to virginia sold those and then it was a number of years before i really started pushing on real estate again i got into horses and selling horses for more money than I ever imagined we had the house that really probably nicer house and farm than anybody in our entire family had ever had. But, you know, Matt, my, my wife and I were, were walking on the beach one fall. And the question that kept coming up is like, it, it ultimately was, is what we're doing right now going to get us where we want to go five years from now or 10 years from now? even? And, and I was working, you know, like two full time jobs, federal agent during the day. I would come home, change as fast as I can, I load the horses, I'd go to the arena, give lessons, train horses, you know, every day. Right. And, and so the, the obvious answer to that question was absolutely not and it just you know i was making better money than i had ever and ever imagined honestly and even selling horses for a lot more money than i ever imagined but you know when we when that realization kind of hit us in the face it was like okay we, we got to do something different right and and i always knew that real estate could build wealth i knew that story i knew how many people millions and millions of people built wealth in real estate and so this was like september and we said you know what we need to make some changes and so by christmas or actually, unfortunately, the week between Christmas and New Year's, we were moving out of that farm. We had sold that place and sold everything related to the horse training business. And we say, you know what, we're, we're committing to to real estate and we know it can build wealth and we're burning this bridge. And no matter yeah. what anybody thinks, because I mean, everybody thought we were crazy. They say, you know what? I mean, like Lord, Lord, good friends, you know, came up to us and said, oh, wait a minute, you know, are you all okay? What's going on? You know, all those questions, right? And out of care for us, but they couldn't understand. They couldn't see where our vision was then, right? It was bigger than the normal, you know, what we had had type vision. And, and, and so we, we, but we had to commit completely and we sold the farm to do it, right? And w- one thing that happened though, when we moved to Virginia, was we went and heard a, a pastor, he was speaking, he was talking about caring for orphans and widows, Matt, and, and he shared about the need uh, of, of, of adoption and how there's 150 million orphans in the world. And my wife and I, had ne- we were pretty newly married still, and we had never discussed adoption before. We didn't, we had never, we, we grew up in one-stop town. I didn't know anybody that was adopted or had ever adopted a child. This was brand new, but hmm. on the way home from this event, my wife and I, the question then was, well, why would we not adopt? like I, that it was almost it was that some thankful it was that simple to us then if we knew how hard it was going to be we may never have done it i'm thankful for our ignorance right you know at the time uh, but we applied to adopt from ethiopia within a week two years a long process two years later our first son Samuel comes home from ethiopia and, and we start the process again our second son elijah was born uh, and our family through adoption about nine or ten months later and huh. a few years later we started another process and brought eden joy our first daughter home through adoption and then and a few years later, we started another process. And actually, we have Selah now, who is four months old, who also came to our family through adoption. But Matt, those, the process of adoption, again, was very difficult, and, yeah. and especially the first couple. I mean, it just took everything we could make. It took everything, all the money we could raise from friends and family, own and own and own all the fundraisers that we could possibly do. You know, the third adoption process, we had a failed placement. We lost about twenty-five to 30000 And you talk about just a kick in the teeth for families who have done everything to raise this money, right, and spent this much time. Um, however, the Lord provided, even just within a, within a few weeks from our industry, actually, uh, for that process in an amazing way. But that just fueled our fire, Matt, you know, to want to help other people, right, uh, to be able to do this and ultimately for so more children could resurf forever home.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so let's let's break the numbers down a little bit further. The adoption process for someone that wants to adopt, and for they either there's some, a number of reasons why uh, people adopt. I'm adopted, as you know that, right? And, and I'll talk about too much on the show or to my communities or whatever. But I'm adopted, and my parents adopted me because they didn't think that they could have a child. I, I forgive me for using if this is the wrong word to say, then forgive me. But naturally, right, to, to naturally have a child or through the through the you know the normal process, right? No. Let, let's say. So they didn't think they could. They adopted me, and then just some funny how these things happen sometimes, right? They ended up having my. Sister, who's their natural child, I'm their adopted child. They're they ended up having my sister a few years later because it kind of like just opened, took the pressure off, so to speak, right? In that, so I'm very grateful for that for that journey. But they, but most, some folks do it for that. Some folks do it. I would think as you and your wife did it to a lot to give back that these kids in other countries or just in other situations, you know, are you're giving them a leg up or giving them a giving them a, a chance, so to speak. Maybe they're you know orphans or whatever it may be. In that, the process costs how much typically? You, you'd, yeah. you'd said that like fifty sure to seventy. 75,000. 50 to 70 to 75,000. That's the whole thing, right? That, that's right. the entire journey. Okay. Okay. And is that, I think just an infant or is that uh, a child could be three, four or five years old as well? Or is that for folks that want a newborn infant? As I, I was yeah. old when my parents got me. So. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. I
1: mean, so you can, you can be as picky as you want to be. You can say, I want a male that's two years old that has blonde hair and blue eyes and, you know, but it's going to be a long time right before yeah. that happens. And we were just wide open. We just said, we'll take whatever the Lord gives us. And however, our first stipulation was, and actually at the time we were, we it was really early in our marriage. Like I said, in and, and certain countries have stipulations around how long you're married or, you know, you've oh. been married or different things like that before you can even adopt from there. And so Ethiopia though, had over 5 million orphans in that one country. And hmm. so we said, you know what, we can adopt from there. There's obviously a major need yeah. Uh, and so we started that process really quickly. It was kind of a no brainer for us. But you have to think about there's tons of legal things that have to be paid for. Right. Especially when you're dealing with two countries, you're dealing with two governments. As uh, another reason, you know, it takes so long. Right. And, and, you know, either way, you know, there's just a lot of legal involved. But even, you know, flights, you, know, you think about it, they called it. So even what we were waiting like 18 months Matt, before we were matched with our first son. and And they call us on a Monday and say, your court appointment is in Ethiopia on Thursday. And, and we're like, wait a minute, you know, like, I don't even know if we can get there, you know, but you've been waiting that long. You're going to figure out how to get there. Right. But our flights were over 10 grand for that one trip. Stop.
2: You know?
1: Yeah. Oh, man. So, and that's not always the case. Right. And our other ad- adoptions were domestic. But there's still, you know, agencies that, adoption agencies still charge. You know, it's really expensive. Right. There's yeah. lots of agency fees. There's lots of legal fees. There's lots of travel yeah. costs you know, involved, oftentimes numerous trips.
0: Uh, you know, to to wherever you're adopting from. Like wherever now, did you did you and your wife travel to Ethiopia? Sorry to go granular, but this is no, just it's good. Good. The audience is getting something out of this. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of minutia questions that come up, but they're real. You know, maybe for people who are curious about it, about doing it themselves, but also for just logistics, right? Because logistics sometimes are good conversation pieces. Did you and your wife fly there to bring your son home, or was he brought home by a third party uh, custodian or somebody like that?
1: Yeah, we went there when he was, I think he was four months old when we first met him. And so and at that time, we had a court appointment that declared him our son. And the worst part, though, is that he's, now he's our son, but he doesn't have a visa. And so he can't leave the country. OK, so we had to leave and come back for three months for for the government to go through the process of giving him a visa. Wow. And, and then go back. We went back a second time to be able to bring him home after he had a visa. So, all you
0: right, couldn't, so- I, I guess, like you can't run that concurrently and begin the journey of getting him a visa because he's not your son. So, the, you know, none the government right. Watch, right? You know, you can't sign that. That's not yours. He's not your child yet. So, I I, I, I get it. Wow. What a journey. I, I, now I understand where all that money goes, right? Yeah. Probably plenty of attorneys helping you out and, That's right. you know, just airplane tickets, right? So, so, fast forward now, you run a vibrant real estate company that I've, obviously this isn't a hobby for me or for you, right? We both make good money doing what we do, and that and you are, are lucky enough to make the money that allows you to feed this passion. So, could you tell me a little bit more about what your not for profit does and what and how you're able to use your for profit real estate business to feed that not for profit and allow others to contribute to it as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll even back up and tell you how the nonprofits helped us in ways I never imagined on the business side as well. You know, so, uh, and when I said earlier, you know, I never imagined the ways that the Lord had planned here, how this was going to help us. I I didn't, I didn't plan it this way, but I wish I had, I wish I could say that I did. But when I first started traveling, Matt, probably like you and you you know, you're brand new to this industry, you're going to conferences like Matt, you know, you don't know anybody, you're shaking every hand that will reach a hand out to shake (laughs) yours, right? Uh, You know, I mean, I did that for a long time, right? Just like you and and just connecting as often as I can. That's how I met you, man. I probably Right.
0: you were, best ever when you and I were just getting going, like probably no this week, yeah. like, Hey man, what are you doing? I don't know what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. That's yeah.
1: right. What happened is I started saying, starting with why, just like Simon Sinek talks about, but I hadn't read that book yet at this time, but people say, you know, what do you do? Right. And I would say, well, my wife and I have a foundation that helps families adopt children. And ultimately we, we fund that through our real estate investment business. So our investors get to play a role in helping these children find their forever home, but it doesn't affect their returns. And so, and then I'm silent, right. It's quick. It's, it's to the point. And we're not talking about, multifamily. We're not talking about what markets we're in. We're not talking about whatever, right, in business, right? Because they just had that that conversation 20 times over the last day at that conference, right? Mm -hmm. And so so immediately, I'm talking about what drives us, our mission, why we're doing what we're doing. So, you know, all of a sudden, they're telling me or they're asking questions about adoption. They're asking questions about our kids. They're telling me about their kids or grandkids, things they're passionate about. They can see I'm passionate about this, you know. So it it changes the whole flavor and dynamic of this and brand new relationship right and then the thing i started seeing happening matt was when i would follow up guess what they probably talked to 20 to 100 people at that conference they remember who i am right because it's it's the only time they heard something like that right at the conference and again i didn't plan it that way initially but then i started seeing that happen and so it, it ultimately helped me to build relationships with lots of people that i never probably would have otherwise it also even during this time initially you know i was still working full-time like i told you we moved into a, a, a part of Really, a part of town that wasn't that great, uh, so we could just get rid of the farm and lower expenses, so I could travel and do all this stuff. Started the daily podcast. I was going to conferences probably three weekends a month, you know, for a long time. And we moved numerous times. We were in our in an adoption process as well, so it was just madness. I mean, I mean to say the least, for my wife and I, it, I was like a, an absent father, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. literally, I would be in the in the basement often, recording twelve to fifteen interviews in one day for the podcast, and. I mean, like nonstop, and she would literally pack me lunch to go to the basement. You know, <laughs> it was just madness. But what i was going to say? is, is this enough mission, time to walk
0: up the steps, right? <laughs> that's right. There
1: wasn't. There literally wasn't. And so, you know, what would happen is, you know, that this this mission though was something that my wife was also passionate about, mm. right? And so she she couldn't have cared less about. If I had said I want to be the best real estate investor I possibly can, or if I said if I had stayed training horses and been the best I possibly could, she I know she would have supported me, right? However, this mission though was something that we were both behind in a big way, right? Uh, and so during that time, when times are really tough, you know, when we're, you know, a, a crucial time was us being up early together in the mornings just to talk about our days and what's going on with the kids and whatnot. But that mission was something that fueled both of us to, to continue going as well.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Could you say the name of the not-for-profit one more time so folks can hear more about it, reach out, maybe even make a contribution?
1: It's called Omna Foundation. It's O-M-N-A-H, Foundation. O-M-N-A-H. Is there a meaning behind that or what's that word mean? Yes. So it's when Mordecai actually was taking, actually, so it's Hebrew for to nurture and to care for a child. Okay. Mm. And so it's that's where it comes from.
0: And so, yeah, yeah, to nurture and to care for a child. That's Hebrew. That's great. I I love deep meanings like that. Thank you. So fast forward to today through your real estate ventures. As I understand, you're taking a portion of your proceeds when your company does a deal or when you guys have success points in a deal process. You're putting some of your proceeds into that. And you're also allowing folks that want to just contribute direct to that to do it. So how many adoptions has completed so far about 30 Thirty. And I think
1: we we're, we're, we're partnered with almost almost 40 families now but I think almost 30 have actually brought children home so far oh. so it's a big process and just to clarify it's it's a it's That's personal amazing. profits you know it's not Total, you know, company profits, you know, about to me, yeah, it's about 30
0: it. That's the, we should clarify that. You're not you're not taking a portion of the investor side. Your investors are That's still right. getting a hundred percent win. And my bet, again, I don't even know, I'm gonna speculate. My bet is that you probably have some of your investors that are taking a portion of their proceeds when they win with you and pushing it over to Omnia as well because they believe in your mission, right? It's been um, encouraging to see that and then partner yeah. even on a monthly basis, you know, with the yeah. foundation, many of yeah. our investors. That's great, but they're not. That means they're aligned, right? But that doesn't right. mean you're mandating them doing it in that. But but yeah, it, it, it's that's really inspiring. What is the goal for this year? What, what I'm sure the agency, as you said, you know KPIs, goals, that kind of thing. What goals is your organization for 2024 for funding adoption? Yeah,
1: we would love to partner with at least 20 families this year, and great. possibly 25. Uh, we'd love to raise a half million dollars. That would be a, a major stretch goal for us, you know, in one year from yeah. donors, outside donors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Those are 20 to 25 kids. They're going to get a great home. They're going to get, a, get a, a fresh start and, and everything like that. So as I did, and as your children did, they were lucky enough to be, you know, through grace, put in your home, that's great. It's really a testament to a deeper mission. We had a friend of both of ours, Paul Moore, on the show, Giving Tuesday, talking about his mission, which is just as admirable as yours is with regards to you know, human trafficking and everything like that. Maybe there's outlets there that are kind of like a uh, child gets aided out of the human trafficking industry and then eventually pushed over to adoption. Who knows, right? Maybe it helps yep. that way to get him into a better home. But the folks like you and Paul are doing great work in the world um, by running good businesses centered around real estate that have a ginormous why associated with it. It does not necessarily have to be guys to have a big house and a Ferrari. It can certainly be to make a difference in the world and fund the adoption of up to 40 kids and give them great homes in that in the long run. So thank you, Whitney, for doing that. Um, commend you. Right. Let's transition real quick. Let's say you're, you're a seasoned operator. You know, I'm going to ask you to bust out your crystal ball here. And and tell me where you think the world is headed with regards to multifamily. Are you a doom and gloom, blood in the streets? Oh my goodness, everything just got cut to a quarter of what it was last week in valuation. Are you a you know everything's going to keep going, party's going to keep going? A little bit in the middle. Where are you for 2024? What what are you seeing and what do you think is going to happen?
1: I ask a ton of people this same question, Matt, and I say, you know, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but however, what you think affects what you do. (laughs) And so tell me what you're thinking, you know. Uh, And it's so true, true. right? I mean, what you think, you know, affects whether you're buying or selling or. Or whatever you know. For us, you know, I I just stress to people, it's like stick to the guidelines that you know you should stick to, right? You know, it almost doesn't matter. Uh, And and just like you, not doing a deal for this long, right? Us too, right? We did do a a deal this past year, but one, you know. And so, you know, how many times have we said no? And and looking back now, hey, we're so thankful uh, that we did, right? And so, know your criteria, right? That you're going to use to, to buy deals. You know, even the type of debt, right? You know, obviously now, you know, a lot of people are learning that the hard way too. And so it's like know, you know, why you're buying something. And, and so for us, or I guess for me personally, you know, I I expect rates to come down some this Mm -hmm. year, eventually, and maybe that opens up some more buying opportunities. I'm not a doom and gloom. I I don't think, you know, the U.S. is just going to burn down. And, and, you know, if it does, we're all going to have bigger problems, right, than our real estate deals, right. But I I just, I encourage people to like, and be careful about what you're taking in, right. You know, I get, you know, YouTube notifications all the time, and sometimes it's it's obviously you know clickbait of houses on fire and all that stuff. And I try to turn that stuff off because <laughs> so I'm like, that is just not good for me. You know, yeah, uh, it's, not, it it's not good for my mind, and that's why I want to have that criteria. And hey, we're just going to keep looking, we're going to keep underwriting, we're going to keep beating the bushes, and when we find something great, then if it doesn't meet what we need it to meet, then we're going to pass.
0: Yeah, they say, you know, whether well, not they Henry Ford said it. Whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. And if you listen <laughs> yeah. to the right, if you listen to the wrong media outlets, you will get to ride right, the wrong mindset that'll tell you that you know, everything's falling apart and chicken little and all that other kind of stuff. And and just you might, you might, you and I might as well just hide under our beds and wait for the storm to blow over, so to speak. Right. While we would be doing that, there would be people out doing deals That's right. <laughs> and that, and it doesn't mean you should do any deal. This is not the market where you just go and grab whatever you can get your hands on, but we're still seeing opportunities. Are there, are we seeing as many opportunities as we did in 2018, 19, 20? No way. Yeah, or even in 21, no. So it'll be a little funky, a little weird for a little bit. But I think that the operators that are able to continue to thrive in 2024 through the tips that Whitney gave about just monitoring your debt, I'll give one more that I tell uh, folks that, that'll you know anybody to listen to me about it. As Whitney said, monitor your debt, but also, guys, monitor your market. So I don't think the successful operator is the one that's you know shopping in let's say Whitney 15, 20 markets across the United States. I know one of yours is I'm about to say Golden, Colorado, but that's not right. Boulder, right?
1: Yeah, Colorado Springs.
0: Yeah. Colorado Springs, And, and Vale. Yeah, so those markets. But you might not hear Whitney talking about Oklahoma City and Topeka, Kansas and Oma and here and here and here because seasoned operators, the folks that Whitney and I respect, our friends, right, are not buying in 2030 markets across the continental United States. They're likely buying in two, maybe three, maybe one, right? Um, and I think success, especially in a changing market like this, is going to be in picking if you're trying to rise in the in today's uh, multifamily space, picking one market, one, not two, not 10, one market, and choosing that as your playground for the next six to 12 months and infiltrating, pushing in, getting to know the brokers, getting to know the owners, getting to know the bad deals, the good deals, the stuff that's that's having problems, the property managers, getting to know everybody and becoming an expert on that one market. When a good deal comes up, it's likely to be an off the market deal. It's not going to go on loop net.
1: We would love your support, obviously, at omna these children, 100% of donations go directly to families. Uh, and so we would love for your you know, your partnership there, you know, with those families as well, obviously you can find me on about any social media outlet or Whitney at lifebridgecapital.com.
0: Whitney at lifebridge Capital and lifebridgecapital.com and the Whitney Sewell on Instagram. Whitney. Always a pleasure to see you, man. You are a brave sunshine in the real estate world. Thank you uh, for all you do. I do hope our paths cross. Last year, I was lucky enough to have a booth across the exhibit. From, That's right. Um, from Whitney, for for it, it wasn't you're not for profit. It was LifeBridge, right? That's right. Um, yeah, got it. So yeah, I hope I hope to see you at best ever. We'll be out there again, and I, I know our paths will cross in this uh, real estate world very soon again, in one way or another. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Cashflow Digest.
1: Thank you, Matt.
0: Appreciate you very much. Thanks, Whitney. See. you. Guys, great conversation. And I, what I want to challenge you guys with that, had a, that were lucky enough to watch that entire thing, I want you guys to think about what your why is, right? If it is too heavy for our, in a to big house, I can promise you, promise you that people like Whitney and myself and many other friends of ours, will, will we can save you the trouble. Right. That's not gonna be rewarding, right? The Ferrari is not going to fill your soul. The big house is not is going to feel more empty, you know, once you once you achieve it. And success is not fulfilling. The dollars are not fulfilling by themselves. What is fulfilling is what you do with these things once you achieve them. And Whitney's got a phenomenal wise. What so I want you guys to do is if you're not exactly where you wanna be at the promised land for yourself, for yourself, for your business, whatever it is, if you're not, you know, all the way where you want to be, right? Think about something you're going to create that's larger than you. As you grow to that, not I'm gonna make $10 million so I can start a not for profit. How about not that? Because Whitney didn't do that. Whitney built it along the way, along the road, right? What is something that's larger than you that you can start building now that only becomes bigger as you build your real estate business? I can assure you that these things become more and more fulfilling as you see the labs. I cannot imagine how fulfilled Whitney is knowing that he's got 40 kids that are placed into, into great homes through the initiatives he's doing through his organization. So, really inspiring. I ask you guys to think, look inside yourself and think about that too, right? Remember that transforming lives through real estate. Got it. Okay, guys. I want to pivot here to another conversation that I want to have with you guys. We're doing a quick. If, if you guys had a great ch- had a chance to read my book, raising private capital, then that's great. I'm grateful for you. And if you did read it, that I'm that I'm required by Bigger Pockets to ask you to go on Amazon and please write it a review because we need your feedback on what you think of the book. So if you read it, please write it a review. If you've not read it yet, or if you'd love to had to be one of the cool kids and have a signed copy, there it is, with a signed copy. Maybe this book too. You could have this one I'm holding right here, a signed copy of my book. All you got to do, it's simple. This is easy. This will take you maybe 30 seconds. What I want you guys to do is to go on Facebook right now onto DeRosa Insiders. Those of you guys that are watching right now, go to Facebook and invite five of your friends it. Just invite five friends to join the DeRosa Insiders community. We need your help making this community this big. They can hear phenomenal conversations like we just had with Whitney Sewell. They can hear great conversations that we had with Haith Patel, our underwriter coming on Underwriting Deals, or Hervé Francois, or phenomenal conversations we have with other folks that are in Pipeline for you guys. We want to continue to make a difference in the world and help people transform lives through real estate. And so we need you guys to take a minute and invite five people. If you invite those five people, we'll put you into a drawing. And the winner of that drawing wins a copy of my book, signed copy, right? How great a deal is that? 30 seconds for a signed copy of a book. How great, right? So what I want you guys to do is take a minute right now, go ahead and do that. We might even, not we might even, we're going to highlight the winner on the show. Maybe we'll bring you on real quick and spend a minute talking about your real estate goals, have you promote yourself in front of lots of people that watch this program. So if you guys want to take us up on that challenge, join the book giveaway right now. There it is. Now we're going to be talking with our friend, Tara. You got, Tara makes me smile. That's why her last name is Tara Smiley. She makes me smiley. She's going to talk about rent roll. And it's a mis, misunderstood piece of the real estate analysis process. It is certainly something you need even on a on a one-bedroom condo all the way up to a 100-unit uh, apartment complex or more. A rent roll is an imperative piece that you need, but it gets misunderstood. And so Tara is going to take us to school yet again with her T-Talks multifamily program, teaching us about a rent roll. Take it away, Tara.
2: It's Tara with DeRosa Group and DeRosa Living. So I want to take a few minutes and talk to you about this magical report called the rent roll. I want you to know what it is, what information it offers to you, and then also what kind of information and questions it will help you generate so that you can take back to the buyer and the buyer's agent or the broker. All right. So first and foremost, the rent roll is a listing report. It will show units, total count of those units. It may even show the unit type. It will show the residents that live there or if the unit's are vacant. It will show the market rent. It will show the least rent, okay? So market rent versus least rent can be important. It will also show move-in date versus lease start date. And remember that those can be different because the resident may have renewed or because their lease start was August 1st, but they didn't pick up keys and physically take possession until the third. That's not uncommon either, okay? It may show you the security deposits that the, the seller has on hand that they're holding in escrow for those residents. It may even show you, if you're really lucky, the balance due or the aged receivable totals line for each resident showing you at the moment that that report was captured and pulled how much they owed the current owner, okay? So you need to know what the rent rule is. The next thing is that you need to learn how to look for things. So take a look at the last three months of move ins Are the rents the same? Did they grow? Did they decrease? Because that tells you how the current owner is feeling in the market. Have they had any kind of volatility? Have they seen, you know, rent increased potential? And that's why the, the market rents and the lease rents jumped. Or have they seen a, a slowdown? And so they've had to accommodate that for, you know, the, the leasing volatility in the market with a declining rent base. Or have they remained stagnant? That helps you generate these questions that you want to go back to the buyer with. Okay, the lease dates may be different hopefully it's because of a renewal, but if your lease end dates, if you've got a ton of lease end dates that they ended 18 months ago, well, then you've got a ton of residents that are month to month, which can increase, you know, kind of, yes, your flexibility, but it also decreases your control and your forecasting, your projection for what units are gonna vacate in what month, okay? The benefit is that if you've got a bunch of residents that are on month to month, find out if they're being charged month to month fees, ideally the rent roll that you're given will not only show just the rent that's being charged, but it will also show all the other monthly recurring fees. Like are they being charged for trash, pest control, a rub system, any other utilities, pet rent, you know, all those things. It will give you a good sense of who your current resident demographic is. All right. The other thing is that if your rent roll shows the balances of the residents owe, that tells you about collection efforts. So bear in mind, This rent roll is a snapshot, a picture, captured on the date that it was pulled. So if the rent roll was pulled on the third of the month, I would expect that age receivable, those balance due, to be pretty hefty. It's still in the rent collection timeframe. As compared to a rent roll that's pulled, let's say on the 19th of the month, the AR should have shrunken considerably in that timeframe. So be knowledgeable about a rent roll. Learn how to kind of read through it to see the information that it's giving you right under the surface and then also read the rent roll anticipating the questions because the best thing that you can do is become well-armed, educated and equipped to go back to that seller or the seller's agent broker with sophisticated, educated, knowledgeable questions that help you make a better informed decision about what you want to do by or no to this asset. If you've got other questions like this, join us over on Facebook. You can become part of the DeRosa Insiders group. You get access to us. You get some great Q&A, some great information that you'll see in videos like this and and with the other members of our team. And, And honestly, we're just fun to hang out with. See you soon.
0: Guys, great education. It's important to know what these things are. And so when you're looking at a piece of real estate, it's like, we all know, oh, well, I'm supposed to ask for the rent roll and I'm supposed to ask for the trailing 12 and those kinds of things so that I can do a proper evaluation. But it's more important to understand what it is you're looking at. It's important to understand why you need to, why you need these things and how they can help you understand a property of that much better. So thank you, Tara. Thank you, T-Talks Multifamily, for your continued contributions to the Cashflow Digest. Guys, great show today. Don't forget to make your submissions to win yourself a free copy of Raising Private Capital one last time. I want you to win. I want to shout out your name and maybe even have you on as a brief guest on the show to talk a little shop with you. And I also really want to express my gratitude for Whitney Sewell for joining us and putting his heart out there and his passion for what he does in real estate and why he does it. Right. Let's all examine what our whys are. And obviously, just the big questions on the lot of real estate's changing in America over the next 15, 20 years, everything from office buildings to strip centers, which we've talked about before. But on today's show, we examine what can be done with the large homes, the large McMansions in America and how 28% of baby boomers that are empty nesters own them right now. That's going to change in the next couple of years. What should happen with that? That's the show today, guys. Thank you. Make sure to join us next week at noon Eastern. As always in the Cashflow Digest, I appreciate you guys and I'm grateful for you guys watching this program. Have a phenomenal weekend. Take care. Hey guys, Matt Fairclough here. Thank you for listening again to the Cash Digest. I really appreciate you guys doing that. If you guys wanna hear more about what DeRosa Group has to offer, go to DeRosa group D-E-R-O-S-A group.com, DeRosaGroup.com online. You can hear about all the great things that we offer from an educational standpoint and passive investment standpoint on our website. See you there. And if you guys wanna join our online community, DeRosa Insiders on Facebook, where you can watch this program get recorded every Friday at noon Eastern, and you can come on as even a guest or ask questions on the show. We hope to see you guys on our online community, DeRosa Insiders. See you there.